This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. Defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Merry Christmas, Icon. I hope you all have had a meaningful season of meditating upon what it is that hope has come for us, that light has broken into darkness. And today in our text, we are going to see two of the earliest individuals who experienced an encounter with their long-awaited hope in the baby, Jesus. So if you would please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and read with me today's text, which is verses 21 through 38. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have eight days after God's son was born. And as was in the law and as was custom, he is circumcised. Luke, in his account, makes a very careful point to note where Jesus is abiding um, in accordance with the law, where his parents are abiding by those things, because this is part of what would have validated him. And along with his circumcision, he is officially named Jesus. 
Jesus, the Greek word for the Hebrew Joshua. Jehovah saves, the Lord saves. So as he's ritually circumcised in accordance with the law, and he's given this name at the same time that literally describes who he is and what he is to do. And after the time of purification, he is dedicated to God as the firstborn son. All of the traditions and customs were followed for Jesus because he's born into a cultural context in a time in history. His life and how he was human from the very beginning is marked by a time and a people group. Here also we see his mother abiding by the law when it comes to the traditions of purification from childbearing. Usually the mother needed to offer a lamb for a burnt offering and a turtle dove and a pigeon as a sin offering to God. However, if the mother and the family were too poor and could not afford the lamb, she could bring a second turtle dove or pigeon. So here we have, because Jesus's parents are legit poor, she has to bring two turtle doves. So Jesus is born into this family that has to take advantage of the um, exceptions to the law and the rule because they don't have the financial means to meet it in the ways that those who are affluent could. But even as they have these very humble circumstances that they live in, Mary and Joseph still here prioritize bringing to God in obedience what they do have the means to bear before Him. They offer out of their poverty what they are able to. So in this very simple scene, we see such humility, yet a very full and honoring devotion to God. And it is at this scene we also see Jesus' early introduction to two people outside of his family, these two prophetic figures. So as they're worshiping God in their obedience and devotion, there's a man there named Simeon. Simeon is described here as righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit resting on him. So righteous here is supposed to just convey he is very upright in his moral character. The word devout here, by definition, is this idea of taking hold of, especially in the religious sense. So he's someone who took hold of the things of God and applied that to his character and his being. And he's looking forward to Israel's consolation. Consolation was a term used specifically for the Messiah coming to redeem his people. So part of what defines Simeon's character and his life is that he's actively thinking on, actively waiting for the Messiah to come and fulfill his hope and his need. His faithful waiting for hope is what defines him. And as he waited, God's Spirit is resting upon him. In verse 26, where we read, it says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. This means he didn't just have a hope that he would see the Messiah before death. He didn't just have a strong gut feeling that he probably would. This wording means that Simeon had a actual revelation from God. It was somehow revealed to him by the Spirit beyond all doubt. This isn't just a strong feeling God might do this. This is certain for him. We don't know how, but we know that somehow God 
had made this known very clearly. Also in this word in the Greek, it implies that Simeon is given this certainty as an answer to prayer. The exact phrasing is kind of like he knew this as a response to him consulting with God. So this is sort of this unique situation, right? Where Simeon wants to know specifically, God, am I gonna see the Messiah before I die? And if you remember in what we've talked about in the Advent season at Icon in the past, the fact that he would be very eager for this makes a lot of sense. They've been living in a very violent and tumultuous time. They are eager as the people for the next phase in God's plan to provide for them redemption and freedom and relief. So it's really no wonder that Simeon appeals to God and says, can I see him before I leave? And by his grace, Simeon's someone that God assures you will. You will see him. So I wonder if as Simeon, you know, becomes more advanced in years, he's maybe a little more vigilant in watching, anticipating a little bit more, faithfully hoping, hoping and remembering the certainty that God offered to him. So how ready was he on that day? When guided by the Spirit, it says he goes to the temple and this baby catches his eye. God orchestrates this so that they're in this same location at the right moment. And he sees him and he knows with certainty. This is the consolation of Israel. And he takes him up in his arms, it says. I love this scene alone. This older man, faithful and devout, taking up this baby, just eight days old, knowing that this tiny being, this little body, is the one that he has given over his very life, faithfully waiting for. This little body of this baby is the one that's going to right everything that has gone wrong. What filled his heart as he cradles God's son, this elderly man holding the hope of the world in his arms. And his response is that he's filled with the Spirit and he prophesies and gives praise to God. Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised for my eyes seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. For Simeon here, this is the highest point possible in his life because he basically says, you can take me now, God. The fruitful completion of his life is having his hope fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus. This you can dismiss your servant, is this reverential expression of a desire to depart because life is complete. For Simeon, it cannot get better than this. Life can't get much better than when the deepest need of his soul and being is fulfilled by God. That's what Jesus brings. So the fruitfulness of Simeon's faithfulness here lie in his steadfast commitment to God and him staying engaged with the Spirit so that he's not going to miss out on picking up where God is working and where he is actually fulfilling his promises around him. Our faithful engagement with God in waiting periods and seeking him in his activity around the world, that's what helps us bear active fruit. That's what makes a life fully worth it. So Simeon here also prophesies that God's salvation has arrived for all peoples, 
for the Gentiles. This is a big deal because it's making it very clear that Jesus did not just come for one kind of person. He didn't just come for the Jewish people. He didn't just come for a certain type. Rather, when he's just eight days old, it's made clear he's come for all peoples. This is part of what we even celebrate in this season is that he comes to open up access to God for everyone for the very first time. He's one place where there's no discrimination, there's no box to fit in, there's nothing that we have to live up to before we can approach him. He's here for all. And this would have been especially shocking being proclaimed in the temple, a place that is exclusive to one people group. That's where he says, the one we've been waiting for is here, and he's actually not just for us. He's for everyone. He's for those who are on the outside also. So Mary and Joseph are there. We read they're they're taking all of this in. And while they do know a lot about Jesus, it says that they're amazed. They know this is God's son, of course. They know this is the Messiah, but here he is only eight days old, this tiny little bundle, and they're already witnessing some pretty miraculous works of the Spirit because someone on the outside is identifying Him in a way that they have only really heard from God themselves. I wonder, just even for them in that moment, what kind of affirmations, what kind of encouragement did it give them that God says, see, other people other people are starting to know as well. And Simeon speaks directly to Mary. Jesus is going to cause the rise and the fall of many. By the nature of who he just is, he's going to create division. He will do that then, and he does that now. There's no neutrality with Jesus. People will fall through unbelief, through refusing truth, through rejecting him, through refusing to walk in his ways or follow his example, but some will rise. Some will be raised up through him to life and freedom and glory. What people think about Jesus goes one way or the other. You surrender to him or you're at war with him. You embrace him or you reject him. You put your hope in him or you treat him like foolishness because Jesus is a great divider. And we shouldn't be surprised when following him causes some rifts or some issues. He's eight days old when this is pointed out about him. Because Jesus, from the beginning, he's light and darkness. He's the illumination of truth. And while truth being illuminated should be a relief and a joy, it's not going to feel that way if you have made some kind of a home or found some safety in what is of darkness. If you take your comfort or your meaning in something that is false or something that is of lies, that then the truth being illuminated by Jesus is going to feel invasive and threatening. But if you're a true seeker of the truth, even when it's painful, the light and the darkness will be a relief. It will bring freedom because it's what your soul at its deepest level is longing for. It's what it desires. Simeon also says he's a sign that will be opposed. So sign here is not a word of prophecy. It's not like he's a sign of the times. But sign here is more a word that's a characteristic 
of Jesus. So one of Jesus's characteristics from the time he's a baby is that he has opposition. Jesus himself, from the get-go, he brings what the enemy finds threatening. He brings what the world in its sinful state finds threatening. Jesus brings what us in our sinful state finds threatening because we want to be in charge. And he pushes that spot because that's not best for his children. So Jesus' very being here, it's an opposition, but an opposition to what is of sin, of darkness, of death, and decay. His very being then is a contradiction to the way that we operate because of the fall. And so his very being will always be in opposition to those things because he's the bearer of peace. He's the one who brings wholeness and healing. Before that peace to take effect, darkness has to surrender. What is of sin in our sin nature must surrender to him. And Mary is warned here, with this comes a lot of pain and conflict ahead for her. I wonder how she felt every time I hit this. How does she feel about these kinds of words being spoken to her? This is pretty weighty because she does know who her son is, but she doesn't necessarily know how all of this is going to unfold. And so here she has this joy of new life. Her child is safely here and she's being given a message of sorrow because the battle to take back what has been consumed by the darkness and sin, that battle to bring light and life here, it's going to be brutal. It's going to cause bloodshed. And Mary, as probably the person in the world who spent the most actual physical time with Jesus while he was on this earth, she's the one who's going to feel the impact of this. She embodies the birth of God's Son. She's chosen by God for a very difficult but special role. And here you have this young woman, almost the age of a child. She's maybe 13 here. She's, there's excitement, there's wonder, but mixed in is this message of, for you, this battle is also going to be a journey of intense pain because she has such a close tie to Jesus. When it says the sword will pierce your heart, this is actually the idea of a broadsword, like what Goliath would have used in 1 Samuel. So a piercing of a broadsword to the heart is what you are going to experience being Jesus's mother. And I wonder how she held that message in her heart, in her mind for years. And if she recalled Simeon's words, as she has to endure the trauma of watching this baby that she gave birth to and raised and cared for and nurtured go through this horrific agony on the cross. Mary carries so much. Jesus's life, as she will experience, is this intermingling of peace and division, of hope and agony. But as one coming as light and darkness, as one able to bring life where there's death, the intersections of where those opposing things happen, 
it's going to explode at times. It's going to be difficult. But that's what happens when Jesus comes because he's coming back to lay claim to the space that was created as God's. And this intersection is not a neutral place to be. So, Simeon offers these very weighty words about Jesus. And as his identity here, when he's only eight days old, is revealed by a man, we now also have it affirmed by a woman. Luke was very concerned in his account with having eyewitnesses validate Jesus. So here we again have two witnesses, two seasoned and faithful followers of God calling Jesus the fulfillment of their hope. So here is a counterpart to Simeon. We're introduced to Anna in verses 26 through 28, or 36 through 38. Anna here is first identified as a prophetess. She is the only one in the New Testament who is actually called this particular word, but she follows in the vein of a Miriam or a Deborah or a Huldah. It says she's from the tribe of Asher, which was well known for its beautiful, regal women. These were often the women who married priests or kings. Anna, we also find out, was quite well along in years. It says seven years she was with her husband after they married. Then she lived as a widow for 84. So if she married at the earliest age, let's say 12, that would put her at about 100, 103 here, maybe. What's interesting about Anna, someone who was likely 19 or 20 when her husband died would be remarried in a society especially where marriage for a woman was your only way to security. Marriage was protection, marriage is provision, and having children is what gives people status. And in a society where women were of low status already, prospects outside of marriage are slim, it's what you would do, get remarried. But her husband dies and facing uncertainty for her future, Anna remains widowed. She was likely childless. They think that because she has this devotion where she's able to dwell in the temple. She's not living with family. So Anna somehow, for some reason, chose to remain single, which would have been extremely unconventional. Someone who, as a Jew, as a woman, as a widow, on that low status of society, opted to not do what would typically be done to remedy that situation. I have a lot of questions for Anna. I want the details. I want to know what led her to make that kind of decision. And while we don't know a lot, what we do know is we have this woman who, as a widow, had known sorrow and pain and loss, uncertainty. She knew what it was like to feel grief. She knew what it was like to have plans for life derailed in ways that meant life is now going to be more difficult. And yet, she had not grown resentful or bitter toward God. Rather, after Dealing with all of that, she chooses to devote her life so fully to God that she dwells in the place that was thought of to be as closest to Him. It says during all hours of the day, she's there, all watches of the night. So her loss and her grief didn't rob her of her faith. 
Rather, she seems to be someone who leaned in more. The change of her life plans, the loss of her security, it didn't seem to wear out her hope. Rather, it kind of drove her, it seems, to lean more into the source of hope. And I love this about Anna. The years of the wear of life and what could be very difficult circumstances and hardship hadn't shaken her hope, had not left her bitter. Rather, her faithfulness in the midst of the wear of life and difficult circumstances, here we see, leads to her having a very fruitful life. What her faithfulness leads to is that as someone on the lower rungs of society, a woman, a Jew, a widow, elderly woman on top of it, usually someone viewed with not much to offer, gets to be the first one to very publicly and directly proclaim Jesus as the Messiah and go to actually spread the news. Because Mary, we know, she's the first to have the good news announced to her. Simeon is one of the first who seem to kind of really understand some of the weighty things that Jesus came to do. But Anna understands the good news and then embraces that, uses that as a catalyst to then go and actually tell other people. Simeon sees Jesus and is happy to die then. But for Anna, even with her very advanced age, she sees Jesus and she's not content to settle back, but it has this opposite effect for her. She basically says, you all have to know redemption is here. So Anna isn't, I've seen all I need and I can go now. She's, I've seen all I need and I want everyone to know. Simeon recognizes Jesus, but Anna recognizes Jesus and proclaims and preaches to all who can hear the new era of redemption has come. The language of proclamation here used to describe what Anna is doing is language sometimes of prophesying, but it's also language of evangelizing. Evangelizing has become something I think many of us as Christians avoid because we've seen it abused, we've seen it done in a way that is pretty manipulative, Or maybe we've been in settings or churches where evangelizing is so emphasized that it's done almost at the expense of actually loving others or caring for their actual physical needs. But as always, while I think we're people of extremes because it's kind of easy to want to distance yourselves from those things, and you should, we need to take care to not throw out the baby with the bathwater as we are prone to do. The reality is that What follows is when you have a real encounter, a real experience with Jesus, and you really grasp the magnitude of who He is and your need for Him, what He provides for all people, we should be driven like Anna. And this shouldn't be a chore for us, oh, I got to go tell people about Jesus. But this is a gift that we have the opportunity to do that. Anna here is given an incredible gift from God that as someone with her age, being a widow, she's really past her usefulness in the eyes of society. She's the one who has given this task so highly valuable and privileged that she gets to be the one to let people know. Redemption is here and it's found 
in this one here. Her fruitfulness in life lie in her faithfulness, and it kept all the things that could have been barriers to her being the one to be able to preach and proclaim from getting in the way. Her faithfulness is the path to her fruitfulness, even at the very end of her life, when she's someone who usually would have been viewed as pretty insignificant. She's the one who gets to bear the most important and most significant message to the world. Her faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. It's in her hanging on to God when there was tragedy in her life and abrupt changes, using that as a means to go to Him rather than to run. It's in us even, choosing to lay hold of the things of God like Simeon to shape our decisions and who we are and how we model our life. It's in us steadily laboring like both of them did to cultivate a life that seeks Him out, that's in tune with the Spirit, that's watching what He's doing so we don't miss when He shows up on the scene around us. Faithfulness, we see in Simeon and Anna, faithfulness is really a consistent mark of those that God draws in and uses for His good purposes in making Jesus actually known in this world. Faithfulness is what brings about the fruitfulness of putting Jesus on display as you're being shaped more into the likeness of Him. Simeon and Anna both show us this. So as we, church, come out of this 2021 Advent season, Think on the faithfulness of His children here who were eagerly waiting for so long. And don't take it for granted that we actually get to be on this side of it. Consider the miracle it is, as they did, that God Himself has actually come. Consider the magnitude of what His very body entering into this space means for the darkness, for sin, for the sin that has taken us captive. And consider, take a moment to just consider what it is, along with Simeon, along with Anna, that the incredible gift that has been offered to us is that real redemption. It's already come. It's already here. And may us meditating on those things and taking a moment to embrace the fullness of what that means for us as individuals in the world, May we be moved by the Spirit, motivated to be faithful so that we can also live lives that embody Him and proclaim along with Anna and Simeon redemption and salvation. We've seen it. It's already here. Will you please pray with me? Father, we thank You for the incredible gift it is that while we live in a difficult time, that we are living in a time when we already get to benefit from the fact that you have visited this place, you have already done the work that needs to be done to set into motion all of it being reconciled back unto you fully. I thank you that we live in a time where we are able to be reconciled back to you fully. Forgive us for the ways that we can tend to take this for granted, to just move along in life without really fully embracing the miracle, the wonder it is that you have done this for us. So I ask that you would help us to be something that is more of a reality in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. Not, Father, so that we can be elevated, but so that we may look 
may, may be able to spread your news and make you look good. Father, we thank you for the examples of your servants here, for the ways that they were faithful in waiting on you, in attending to you, in being in tune with the where your spirit is working and moving. I ask that you would help us to be sharpened in that way as well, so that we don't miss the ways that you are in the spaces around us. And may we be motivated, Father, to actually share this news that is so good and so exciting, that redemption is already here, that anyone can have access to you. We thank you for making that way open. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Please hear the benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.